Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, everyone. Hello. I am Jennifer Watley Maxell. And it is indeed an honor for me to be here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Denise Thorpe. Hey, Denise. Hey, Jennifer. It's great to see you. Great to see you as well. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is that we actually were part of a group who designed what is now the Risking Faithfully cohort at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And we did it in the middle of the pandemic. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was this idea of risking faithfully in real time. That, you know, there are people who are listening to us right now who are looking at their congregations, trying to figure out what in-person worship looks like, who are sitting on Zoom calls at work, trying to figure out what in-person looks like, if at all, and trying to navigate how do we get on with life in the midst of all the disruption that we're still experiencing. So as someone who has kind of walked a part of that journey in real time, what's like your one thing that you would want to speak into this moment? I think the thing that I would want to speak into right now is faithful joy. I think we've hunkered down into a problem-solving mode, which is not a bad thing. We need to problem-solve. But it's a tight space. It's not a capacious space. Mm -hmm. I think right now we need to breathe deeply and imagine what does faithful joy look like? Just like faithful risk. Mm -hmm. It's not just risk. It's not just joy. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. I think that's what the world's needing. Yeah, we're in this moment where... Not only are we navigating just all the transition, but we've just recently had, you know, the Derek Chauvin verdict. Yes. And we've got more issues going on even this morning. Mm-hmm. And I love the lifting up of faithful joy because I think that we have engaged from this shallow place of happiness, which says that we cannot be happy in the fates of all these injustices and evils and all of this bad stuff. But joy is something different. When you say faithful joy, what is it that you're really getting at? Well, I think the core place that faithful joy emanates from is swimming in, basking in, living out of the core promise that we are beloved children of God. I think it always starts there. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to refuse a whole bunch of narratives that the world throws at us. Mm -hmm. When I say faithful joy... I think of living fully and deeply in that promise. How does that support us? What does it offer us? And to what does that invite us in terms of relationship with other people, in terms of hope for the world, in terms of imagining our life together? Yeah, I love that. And what it makes me think of is this whole idea of decolonizing hope, untethering hope from this kind of Americanized ideal or this American dream, you know, the white picket fence or these political ideologies that we have affixed ourselves to, that it's really a call to step away from our earthly experiences 
and to really ground ourselves in that spiritual place of resurrected hope, if you will. Yeah, as our friend J. Cameron Carter, the theologian and poet, says, when he remembers his formation and the promises in which he was ensconced, um, there's a joy that the world can't give and that the world can't take away. Mm-hmm. And that's the joy I think we need to swim in, which is not to say to ignore the realities of the world, but it's about where we plant ourselves and how we sustain ourselves. Something that I am so, have been so appreciative during this Chauvin trial and leading up to it is reading posts and blogs from womanist theologians who have leaned so heavily into the need for self-care, the need for attentiveness to one's own boundaries, the nap ministry, all of that, that that is about, at the end of the day, remembering who we are. We are beloved children of God with immense gifts that God has given us to share with the world. And I think we have to start and end there on everything. Yeah, because I think one of the powerful things about remembering who we are, it then enables us to see ourselves afresh as part of the beloved community that we are not reacting or responding to others out there over and against ourselves, that we are all together inside trying to work together to get to a place of true community. There is a book called Emergent Strategy um, by Adrienne Marie Brown. And one of the examples she uses is the example of murmuration between birds and how when they flock together, Each bird is its own individual, and yet they have to be so closely in tune to the birds around them so that the whole can flourish and can travel together. And so when we think of this idea of faithful joy and this idea of leaning into who we really are, I think of this idea of murmuration and how it is so important for us to be completely thoroughly grounded and who we are, and yet also at the same time, fully in tune to and aware of our brothers and sisters around us and what is going on with them. Absolutely. And again, I don't know why I'm quoting Jay so much today, but one of the things he emphasizes from this um, poet who he loves, Nate Mackey, is that the we comes first. Before there's an I, there's always a we, which is of course true developmentally that you know, we're born as babies and don't have a sense of I. It's a we as we look closely to our, usually our mother's face, but dad's face too. And that our sense of I comes from that. But the we is first, the I is formed within that. And and that is sometimes deeply distorted, but it also can be incredibly beautiful. And our whole American dream does not start there. It just doesn't. And that's one of the fundamental reasons that I think faithful joy that starts with, we are beloved children of God. It's God looking us that close in the face. That's where it starts. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are struggling to see themselves in that way. Um, For so many of the reasons that we've already named, we have a tendency to look to other things and other people to identify with our class, to identify with our race, to identify with any number of things and not who we truly are. What would you say to those people who are looking at the world and seeing so much that they want to impact or respond to and yet just can't get there? What is that thing that pushes people 
to be transformative and pushes people to engage outside of themselves, do you think? That's such a great question. And honestly, I think it's hard to answer because it varies so much. It's so contextual. You know, my first, the place I want to go first is I'm realizing I understand in a new way my grandparents who used to every morning they prayed they prayed for me they prayed for and every evening they prayed and i remember overhearing them and thinking wow that's amazing they're praying for me every day even when i'm not here and at the same time i just didn't really get that as a rhythm of life mm-hmm. and i more and more get that that the only way to have capacity to respond is to sit in god's lap you know what i mean to really be god's beloved child and take that so that's my kind of instinct first answer. But all of these things, I think we have to remember that what it's like to be still and listen and sit in God's lap when you've been traumatized is different than if you're kind of, you know, white middle-class woman, me, who has had a pretty secure life. Mm -hmm. And so that quieting down or being filled that way can actually itself be traumatic. And so I think where does it start? How do we find the capacity to respond or even the care to respond? For some people, it's got to start relationally. And for some people, it's got to start in activity. But if it stays in either place, either in the contemplative or in the action, it's going to become brittle Mm -hmm. or dysfunctional. Yeah. One of the things that I think you named when you spoke about your grandparents goes back to one of the initial words you used, faithful that part of our ability to build capacity is for us to go towards something and stay with it. That it's not an episodic, I'm going to go have this conversation with somebody. I'm going to go do this one protest. I'm going to go say this one prayer. I'm going to lift this one person or this one community. That there is this ongoing work of faithfulness that is required. And I think that maybe we don't talk about that enough or we don't challenge people enough that being faithful really does require that we keep getting at that thing even when that thing eludes us. Oh, I think you're so right. And the key word is toward. What are we faithful toward? Faith ultimately is about to what do we entrust ourselves? To whom do we entrust ourselves? And then our actions are actions of entrusting. One of the gifts of the pandemic is I think people, whether they wanted to or not, want a lot of people have spent a lot more time than they usually do thinking about what really matters to them, what they really care about. If the church cannot invite and host that conversation at this point, I don't know what the church is doing. And in that there is a discerning of what we should be faithful toward. What you're saying about you just get up and do it every day, even if you don't feel like doing it, even if you're not feeling it, you just do it. The whole practices aspect of faith, I think, is absolutely right. But we have to think about what we're faithful toward. I had this when I was a lawyer at Legal Aid. My boss was a brilliant Jewish man who could have done any kind of law he wanted. And he had done Legal Aid his whole life and not made much money doing it. And he was talking to me about why that has kept feeling like the right choice to him. And he said, you know, when I come home at night, I don't have to take off who I am and put it on the shelf in order to be with my children in the way I want to. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck with me. Like, how can we all define that when we take off our clothes at the end of this life, you know, when we shed ourselves, that our being has been shaped around what 
we want to be faithful toward, what really matters. It feels like it's such a moment to be asking those questions. The womanist scholar Katie Cannon talks about this idea of doing the work our souls must have. Yes. And I do think that in this moment, we are, in a sense, being challenged, forced, encouraged to almost resole ourselves. That this has been an opportunity wherever we sit in this cosmic life situation to really question, as you've said, but I think also to really be honest about our capacity and our courage. Part of what is happening is that as the world for some of us feels so much less safe than it did, we're having to shore up bravery and courage unlike we may not have. And I think for a lot of white people, that is a challenge. Absolutely. That they've not had to confront before. Absolutely. And I think capacity and courage are two things that go together in important ways. You know, I was thinking this language about what your soul must have, to me, being in touch with that is key in terms of having capacity, courage, and sustainability. You know, I remember I talked to a spiritual director years ago when I was kind of trying to figure out what to do. And, and he said at one point, stop shooting yourself. <laughs> he said, you know, you talk about this and talk about this and excited about this, and then you do all these shoulds. Stop shooting yourself and listen. I mean, what he was saying is listen to the work that your soul must have and then give yourself to it. Trust it. Courage requires trust. And those two are linked like that. I think you are absolutely right. Those of us who understand ourselves to be white have not had that required of us. And it is a moment when we need to be living into that reality. We need to be learning. We need to be listening. We need to be following. We need to be inspired by the fact that it is possible. I love the idea that you just lifted about in doing that work that it is not only building capacity, but it is also sustaining in that that work then provides energy and impetus for us to then continue to do the work. That I think part of what is making this exhausting, frankly, for a lot of people who have been engaged in it for a while and others, is that we are not kind of getting that bounce back that doing what you're meant to do gives you. When you're doing what you're meant to do, even when you're tired, you're still energized. It's not a depleted, you know, fatalistic type of tired. It is a re-energizing tired that makes you get up the next day and do it again and again. And I think it goes back to some of that idea of decolonization of hope, untethering ourselves to the ideals to the jobs, to the functions that, like you said, should bring us joy. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it, that what you're saying exactly goes back to the notion, you know, your first question, what is joy? It's that kind of, I'm tired, but Katie Cannon, surprise, surprise, has the best language. My soul must have it. That is joy. That is joy. And understanding that one of my firm beliefs is that if we trusted God, 
really deeply and listen for what each of us is called to do, if we really each did that, that would be the weaving of shalom. The world would have all that it needs. At our wedding, my friend Killian No preached on the Luke passages about don't worry, don't worry. But she ended it by talking about the vocation of our marriage, which I think is also our individual vocation. And what she said is, it is your job for your marriage to carry your peace of the dream of God. Mm -hmm. God's dream, God's shalom, but you need to listen for your peace. And if we really dig, what know what our soul must have and respond to that, we will be sustained. Yeah. But a lot of us feel like we're supposed to do everything and everything has to change. And that's just, kill me now, that's exhausting. Yeah, and especially when you make yourself the gatekeeper of everybody else's peace as well. Being able to focus on your peace enables you to be part of that, uh, go back to that murmuration idea, part of that whole that is orienting towards something as opposed to the person who is kind of out on the side. What I really want to just say before we wrap up right here is for people who are really feeling drawn to this idea of risking faithfully, of faithful joy, what is the one thing that you would say, kind of like the period on the end of the sentence? Like, where's the first step? Where do they start? Stop and think about the last time they can remember feeling delight. Mm -hmm. What was that connected to? The last time they savored the world in some sense. And that's not an end game. That's a first step. But I think until we get in touch with that peace in us, we can't listen for what we're being called to do. Can't listen for it. We have to even be able to feel that and know it. And so many of us are numb to that. Because like you said, we're trying to organize the world for everybody. You know, we forget it's the dream of God, not our dream. Yeah. We're trying to engineer everybody into it. Because I think in delight, we encounter God. Our souls delight in God and God delights in us. We talk all the time. So I've been wanting to have this conversation in this format for a long time. So thank you so much, Denise. This has been awesome. Well, thank you for including me. What a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.